This week's message, given by Pastor Stephen Yun at the Sucker Center United Methodist Church, June 6, 2021. The message is, Sisters are doing it for themselves, based on Numbers 27, 1-11. Would you join me as I pray? Loving, gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for this beautiful day that you created. And we thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship you as a church family. What a blessing it is, O oh God, that we are able to see each other and share this time together. I pray that you will, Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts and minds as we listen to the words of Scripture. Teach us your way so we that follow the path that Jesus Christ had laid upon us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a game I often play with my youngest son, Wesley. It's eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose. How many of you played this before? Well, I'm sure many of you have ever played it as a child, parent, grandparent. Now, after the pandemic, I guess it may not be a popular game. But those of you who played it before would know that it is not just a game. It's actually a, a gesture of affection and love. As you play, you see great joy on your child's face. As a dad, I experienced the sheer joy of showing love for my children through such physical closeness. As some cultures believe that the eyes that are windows to the soul, likewise you also feel a spiritual connection with your child when you get eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose. I heard a story of a woman named Jeannie whose grandma uh, turned 103 years old. Her grandma had to have a major surgery uh, due to one of, his, one of her lacs that wouldn't heal. Of course, the family was anxious and worried about the decision because of her age. They, were, they wondered not only whether she could survive the surgery but also whether she would heal properly after the surgery. Thankfully, she survived the surgery and was recovering well. And Jeannie went to see her grandmother. As she sat at the foot of her bed, her grandma said, Come closer, so she could see her better. Her eyesight had been failing over the years, but cataract made her vision so poor. So she moved closer, only to be asked by her to come a little closer. As she moved closer again, she beckoned. By the time they had it finished, there she was eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose with her grandma. She was so struck by the moment because she realized that she had never been this close physically to her grandmother in her 40 years of her life. And now her grandma has limited mobility, failing eyesight, 
all those health issues, but through the eyeball-to-eyeball, nose-to-nose, she not only saw her grandma's eyes, but also felt as though she were looking into the soul of a woman whose life had shaped the lives of many, including herself. As she said, eyeball-to-eyeball, nose-to-nose, with her grandmother, she saw her life, story after story, memory after memory. She saw her soul, her world, through her eyes. Remember last Sunday we greeted each other with the uh, South African word, saubona. The greeting that means, I see you. When when they say, I see you, it means to see beyond the physical being into the heart of who they truly are. It means to see another's whole being, not just what, what they expect them to be. Think of how often we see, assume, judge, misunderstand others based on our partial view, our limited experience. We tend to see others in ways that ensures what we want and what we expect them to be, not in ways that affirm who they truly are. To see another's whole self is not an easy thing. Even between family members or close friends, It requires us to see and understand where they are coming from and where they are now and what they are going through as a person. Their hopes, their worries, their joys, their vulnerabilities, even their pains. You should listen, really listen and understand them as a whole so we get to see them through their eyes. As we engage in this sermon series, I See You, my prayer is that God may open the eyes of our heart so we come to see each other in a deeper ways, in a spiritually deeper ways. See others in the way that God sees them. In my first sermon, we talked about the importance of acknowledging the diversity among us. At the same time, recognizing the vision that unites us and binds us together as a body of Christ. That is the mission and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And last Sunday, we talked about the importance of listening to the voice of others on the other side of the road. Those voices on the margin. Listening matters. However, it is not enough just to listen. We must also act. In today's scripture reading, Numbers chapter 17, we hear the story of daughters of Jerophehad. The people of Israel were about to enter the land of Canaan after the wandering 40 years in the desert. What happened was that the father of these five daughters passed away with no son. Up to that point, only sons had the right to inherit according to the Hebrew law. These daughters had no brothers. 
So their father's relatives were going to take their father's possessions. So the daughters came to the entrance of the tent of meeting and stood before Moses and the leaders and the people of Israelite. And they raised their voices. Moses listened to the voices of these five women and brought their case to God. And God said to Moses, they are right. Give them land as an inheritance among their father's relatives. As they listen to the voices of women and discern God's voice, Moses and the people of Israelite extended the table wider to include women as the rightful heirs. Because of the brave action of these women, the legal code was rewritten to give the inheritance one's daughters if, if they had no sons. When they raised their voices, it was heard by God, and it was heard by the leaders and the people of Israel. And they took action, took action to change the old tradition. Biblically, this is not an isolated incident. In the Gospels, we know Jesus openly challenged the laws and traditions that were exclusive by nature. You know the famous story of a Samaritan woman at the well. When Jesus met her at the well, asked her a drink of water, it was noon. In the Middle East, it's the hottest time when most people would just take, take a nap or stay in the house. Why would then she come to draw water when no one would be around? Perhaps she didn't want to be seen by others. But Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. And his conversation with her was a message that, I see you. In his conversation with her, Jesus helps her to confront her own past, her shame, her vulnerability, her pain, and helps her to see who she, who she really is from a God's perspective. Jesus invites her to new life, new future in, in Christ, who is the living water who will quench the thirst within her soul. But what Jesus transformed in this story wasn't just the heart of the Samaritan woman. Jesus also challenged the exclusive custom between Jews and Samaritans, between men and women. When Jesus asked her for a drink of water, she was puzzled and said something like this, You really wouldn't ask if you knew where I came from and who I am. The custom was that as a male Jew, Jesus wasn't supposed to talk to her in person. But Jesus challenges this tradition by transgressing the boundary, by taking action. In his ministry to people, Jesus saw the image of God reflected in those whom society deemed unworthy and, in, and, and uh, invited them into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus did. The ministry of Jesus showed us the God who would step in to break the tradition in order to bring justice to those who were excluded 
and deem unworthy based on who they are and where they come from. In this ministry, God also includes us in bringing about justice. The daughters of uh, these five daughters stood up for what they believed to be right, and they acted on their convictions. Likewise, Moses first listened and then acted to change the old tradition. Friends, think about whether there was a time when some long-held traditions or practice stopped you or someone you know from receiving what you needed or felt was a basic human need or right. As you know, back in 2019, I, I got ordained as a full elder in a, gra a Greater New Jersey Annual Conference. But there was a time when ministry candidate couldn't even begin their ministry candidate process unless they have a permanent residence or citizenship. As a seminarian, I started my ordination process in North Georgia Annual Conference. In summer uh, 2007, I got a letter from Deacon, the District Committee on Ordained Ministry in North Georgia Annual Conference. Back then, I was studying in Connecticut for another master's degree after graduating from a seminary. And I was shocked to read the letter from the committee. I was encouraged to find another conference. They didn't write it there, but it was obvious that they want me, wanted me to leave the conference. The conference that first affirmed my calling to ordain ministry was pushing me away for the reason that I was away from GA, Georgia, and that I am an international student. Though I was Though I was away from my further study, North Georgia Annual Conference was my home conference. I started my ministry candidates there. And as I was reading the letter, I felt deeply disheartened, disempowered, unsupported. There were almost 10,000 Korean immigrants, strong Asian presence, including many ministry candidates in the seminary but while I was there for three years I'd never seen a single Asian candidate who went through the ordination process and got ordained and this exclusive tradition based on GA's anti-immigration law continued afterwards of course there was no written rule because it would have been considered racist but many of my Korean Asian friends couldn't pursue their ordination there and ended up moving to other places and transferring their membership to other conferences in the United Methodist conferences. Well, this is a story from 20 years ago. And I really hope things have changed there since then. But what troubles me is that these invisible walls, the system of exclusion, still exist in religious community, not just in our society. In some denominations, women are still unable to be ordained. Even if ordination is granted to women pastors, many of them would face difficulty finding pastoral position in their denomination, especially as a senior pastor. Even in denominations based on appointment system, like us, United Methodists, female clergy experienced that they were not well received by their congregations. During this 
year's annual conference, we heard those painful stories from women pastors who were serving their churches with excellence and competence. They had to face and overcome all those prejudices, discriminations in their own congregations as well as in their communities. Even after, even 130 years after the first Methodist woman pastor, Anna Howard, got ordained in 1880, still, this is the case. What a shame. What a loss it has been. Women served as preachers from the very beginning of the Methodist movement in the U.S. The ministry, gifts, and leadership of these women convinced John Wesley that some women should serve as a preacher. The ministry of John Wesley, an intentional founder of Methodism, was extend, extended the table to the marginalized. When the Church of England became a religion of social elites, he came out of the full pillars of the church building, the high church, reached out to the poor. He went to the mines and prisons and bars and street corners to meet people where they are. In his ministry, he smashed the boundary of class. And like I just mentioned, he also planted the seed for the emancipation of women in religious communities, in churches, congregations. He smashed the boundary of gender. And what he did was to recognize the barriers to the spread of the gospel and smash one barrier after another. Friends, if you're carefully discerned, look around. You'll be surprised to know that we are surrounded by so many traditions in our churches, communities, and world, whether we are aware of it or not. Living in these traditions, we are like fish in the water. Sometimes we're not aware of them. We're not sure why they exist in the first place and what harm they could do for others, especially to the marginalized. Some traditions work in the ways that ensure the power of the dominant, exclude people on the margins. But the gospel of Christ challenges us to widen our table to include all God's people and hear the voices that have been excluded. The gospel of Christ calls us to act for justice. The following the legacy of Wesley, John Wesley, and his passion for social holiness, social justice, we, United Methodists, have developed social principles, which urges us not only to make a difference in our world, in the lives of individuals, but also to make a different kind of the world. Friends, this morning God wants us to open our eyes to see those unjust systems around us in our world, in our community, and stand up for those who are disadvantaged and harmed by it. Our human tendency is that we want to help people who are like us, who like us, and who we like. But Christ challenges us to move from the place 
to serve people who are not like us, who do not like us, and even who we don't like. That's a challenging call. But I would like to put out this question for us all this morning. How is God calling you, my friends? How is God calling you and me, our church, to widen our table, to include people and voices that have been excluded? Who do we need to listen to? And how are we being called to act for justice at this time? How often do we give our time to the ministry of justice and mercy? In what ways are we involved in the lives of the poor, the marginalized, and the suffering? In what ways can you give of your time, energy, and resources? I invite you to think about ways you can put your faith into action in the area of promoting justice and expanding the table. And one of the suggestions I would like to make as a pastor is to form a social justice committee, the committee that we don't have here at Sakusana UMC. If you have a heart, the passion for social justice ministry, contact me. We're going to form a group, a small group, who can work and work for the justice and promote the social justice in our community, in our church, in our society. What is one thing you can try this week, this month, maybe over the summer? What are the roles of areas of missions God called you to engage in? In what ways could you do more as a servant of Christ? Friends, I encourage you to find the time and the heart to serve. If any of you have lost the passion about doing missions, the work of justice and mercy, remember your work of mercy and justice not only honors the work of Christ who gave himself for us, but also make you become more like Christ. I pray that through this worship, God will remind you of some people, a group that are in need around you and help you to see them as God sees. God wants to rekindle and reignite your passion, your heart, those on the margins, because God is right there with them. Amen.